0: My guest today is Jason Kilmeyer, an expert in national security, consultant to government agencies, and contributing editor to 1945.com. We discuss the unfolding immigration crisis, the destruction of American national sovereignty, and the potential outcomes of the upcoming election. Jason is an authority on domestic and foreign policy, and definitely a voice worth listening to. Stay tuned. Jason, thanks for talking to me today, man. It's it's an honor to have you.
1: Yeah, Jason, I appreciate uh, you having me on. I think your show is great.
0: Oh, thank you, man. I, uh, I've i been a reader of yours over the years. I really appreciate your perspective. Um, for our audience who may not be familiar with you can, you, can you just fill us in a little bit on your background?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. So I spent about 12, 13 years in D.C., uh, largely in the private sector there, but with exposure to a range of federal agencies. And, uh, you know, a number of those years in consulting. So I I got what I call kind of a a speed tour of the federal government. Um, And and so got to learn a lot about how those agencies operate, good Mm -hmm. and bad, uh, you know, but also recognize that awkward space between policy intent and implementation. Um, Later in my tenure there, I started to see the mood of the country changing, right? If you think about the primacy, I think, in American life of the 2008 financial crisis, and the change in relative economic expectations that I don't think we've recovered from since then. I saw that we were entering this very well deserved or well earned populist moment, and uh, and knew I had to kind of jump into the fight in a more visceral way. Um, and you know, seeing a, a very self satisfied and indulgent capital not be reflective of what people were looking for, and that's not even a partisan statement. That is just an overall statement, right? And 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 I think we are now very well into this this bumpy partisan moment. So I began kind of commentary at that point to say, hey, here's where I think we're headed. Here are some of the major risks, right? Well, in advance of 2020 had an idea that that election would be contested, uh, you know, in, in some pretty new historic ways. Um, so that's kind, of, that's kind of my background as it relates to government started the writing, right? And I respect how long you've been out there doing it. Um, just as a, I couldn't not do it anymore. Uh, well, the first thing I think I published since college, I wrote on on a train, just you know, angry typing with bad Wi-Fi, um, and so I, it's just that self-expression is something I just like to continue on with.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, totally, man. I, uh, I mean, like I told you before we started, but I, you know, I've been writing for over twenty years. I took a break uh, somewhere around twenty seventeen, just because I got to a point where I couldn't. I couldn't say anything anymore, I couldn't express a genuine perspective, because, you know, especially as it as it related to the Obama administration, any criticism of him was automatically deemed as being racially motivated, right. And so I couldn't write for anybody, because it was like, I would submit something like pointing, hey, 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 look, this is happening. And they go, well, you know i would our audience might misconstrue this as being racist and it's like but this has nothing to do with race it, in my opinion it was the greatest trick the democrats ever played right they, oh, yeah. they they found their first black president and for eight straight years they were completely bulletproof
1: yeah and i, t- I tell you you cannot over criticize uh um uh, obama at this point he he is uh, i think responsible for so much of what our co- cultural ills are right so what people will say is, well, he faced an unprecedented opposition and, you know, Republicans declared out of the gate that they wanted to seek his presidency and were never going to cooperate on health care, uh, you know, and, and anecdotally say, well, because he because Republicans 20 years before uh, uh, or 15 years before supported this element of um, health care exchanges. Right. They took that entirely out of context, used it to hammer Republicans. And then Barack Obama chose, I repeat, chose to break with precedent and pass major domestic legislation absent a supporting national consensus. So it wasn't just that Republicans were being intransigent. They were reflecting the wishes of their voters as, as, as right, uh, measured in the opposition around the public to that law that begat the Tea Party, right? And so he chose to break that out of the gate. And that put us into an uglier territory. Now, maybe he was just part of a spiral that we had already been on, there's a fair argument. But I think that argument doesn't hold because then I remember he invented uh, a right for illegal aliens to reside in the country. And he actually, I think insultingly, aped a law that Republicans had proposed previously called the DREAM Act. And it failed our legislature. Again, the representatives of the people who were elected in the past few years, there was not a sufficient consensus to pass it. And what did he do? He stole the name of the law, applied it to those people, called them dreamers and wrote law from the executive branch. Um, And then right, his supporters were challenging him to quote unquote, go big. They were challenging him to go big in how he would violate our constitution. And I just, that moment, I can't shake how central I think that was. I think that was November, 2014. I actually walked down to the White House the day that he announced that because of how consequential I felt it was, um, and there were some people there, a few protesters and some and some supporters. Um, so I think that your diagnosis of of that Obama era, um, I think, is uniquely responsible for a lot of the corrosiveness we see now.
0: Absolutely, I, I saw it very early, and. You know, it, it was exactly what you said, you know, this encouragement to to go big, to to, you know, not follow the, you know, guidelines of, you know, constitutional guidelines. Right. right. Like like to just kind of encroach in every way possible. And that that was what I saw. And see, I'm Canadian. I'm in Canada. I don't really have a dog in the fight. But whatever happens in America, is, we're, we're five years downstream. Of course. Right. Yeah. So please go ahead.
1: If you think about it, too. Right. Um, late 90s. A president wanted to agree to climate accords called the Kyoto Protocols, and the U.S. Senate, in a bipartisan fashion, made clear to President Clinton, you do not engage in these types of negotiations or sign those protocols without the advice and consent of the Senate, right? And then the president ratifies. Um, And and at that point, Congress was zealous enough of its institutional prerogatives and zealous enough to protect American sovereignty, uh, right, that it rejected those. And then Obama came along and just decided that we could enter the Paris protocols um, by cheating. And, and a lot of what you talk about, Jason, think about where that through line has continued to what the WEF and these other organizations want to do to erase the sovereignty of Canada, erase the sovereignty of America. Well, one of the hedges against that are the constitutional protections in the United States. And Obama, again, went such a long way to eroding this by, by signing up for the Paris uh, Agreement
0: and you know our branches of government are set up specifically so that a world economic forum situation does not occur right wow. i mean there there are tons of safeguards written both into you know canadian parliamentary uh, law and, and you know american congressional law to to protect from that and that's now we're here and i and I, you know i was talking about treason the other day because you see that word thrown around a lot right and there's a lot of people who don't apply it correctly But in this scenario, you know, where you have uh, elected officials flying into Davos, Switzerland, going into closed door meetings with leaders of industry and and other non-governmental bodies. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's treason. That's that's really what it is. Right. And and if they're just well, if they're discussing policy, which, you know, they absolutely are. Then, yeah, that's that's treason. That's a treasonous act.
1: Yeah. and, And not only that think about what they are talking about, right? It is about widespread viewpoint censorship of media organizations. And, and everybody acts like, you know, social media is this is this new revolution that happened. It's still media censorship, just like it looked in the totalitarian, you know, old school, big totalitarian days or anything we read about in, you know, in, in 84 and all the other books that people talk about. It is not about controlling for this individual, you know, uh, uniquely pernicious piece of information. It is widespread viewpoint censorship. And you talk about that allegiance factor, right? I remember when Donald Trump was president, um, at one point there was a government shutdown, a short-lived government shutdown. And it was because Democrats wanted to protect funding for the dreamers. So think about what that means in, in in a very literal perspective. Representatives of our federal legislature shut down the federal government that provides services to the American people to protect the, 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 the interests of citizens that they are not even really constitutionally uh, uh, supposed to be looking out for. So, so what we see is a country that sovereignty has been pierced in, in these very uh, tangible ways, just like you talked about. They are talking about policy, and, and we're slow to recognize what that's going to mean.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's, that's the main part, right? Is that you see these bills and I mean, look, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm knee deep in this and I still have a hard time getting through reading, some, especially Canadian bills. Cause they're so boring and mind numbing. Right. But, yeah. but by the time we actually realize what happens in most cases, we're a year too late. We're, we're, yeah. we're too far down the road. There's no, there's no turning around, no going back. Right. And I, and and I mean, look at where we are now in twenty twenty four, right? I mean, coming out of COVID, we breached so many, we violated so many of our rights and freedoms that it I mean, just the idea of the the values and principles that our countries were founded upon, they're 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 if not gone altogether, they're fading drastically and rapidly, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that we have not as a society come to terms. Um, with the gravity of what occurred. And and also here in the U.S. context, I blame Republican legislators for not focusing more on this. There are emergency provisions baked into the federal register um, that we have not grappled with the fact those need to be removed. Um, And there have been some interesting, um, you know, things proposed. uh, I think it was Vance and maybe a few other people, right, as it related to mask mandates, but it's beyond that and they're, they're the, the right to sequester some of the other rights of quarantine, if we don't rein them in now, when this is still fresh in our memories, then then we're inviting these, these challenges. And let me make another point here, right? Part of the reason we're at each other's throats, you mentioned those changes and we don't catch up to them for a few years. Um, our governments, and I mean this both for the US and Canada, um, they are too centralized, too powerful and we're in what I call a regime type mismatch. And so the reason that we're at each other's throats here in the United States is because there is no state actor is supposed to have those types of powers, um, right? Of the type, for instance, proposed by the WEF. So the the spin cycle that the United States is in, um, where I remember, for instance, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, people were nervous. Like people were, oh, what's gonna happen is the court, gonna, like? Uh, a federal judge passing away should not be this, this um, fear-inducing black swan type event. Um, none of us are supposed to be scared about what a senator in, in uh, a far-off state thinks. And what's going to happen in the United States, right, when we see movements like Occupy, resistance, right, you can maybe even say Tea Party, but but not really, is um, this is a sign of a people saying we will no longer be ruled this central. And all of the kind of instability that we are seeing is a result of that core, core reality.
0: Do you see movements, say, for example, like, you know, the current trans movement or Black Lives Matter, do you see those as also being in the same vein as, say, those previous protest movements? Or are they something different?
1: I I think there's something different in the sense that uh, they are explicitly um, there to replace our um, our current institutions, right? So so Occupy and and resistance were in some ways just the outcries of anger, right? Occupy while it while it had a populist message that became secondary to the spectacle of, uh, you know that their self organization on the streets and all those pieces. Right? Um, what we're seeing with, um, you know, uh, the BLM and some of these other pieces is is an explicit rejection. And let me let me be more explicit. The BLM, all the DEI stuff that we're talking about, what we're talking about there is an explicit rejection of the American Bill of Rights and its replacement with a, a competing system of rights, right? So if you think about we need to dole out these rewards to these groups, if we need to um, control who speaks and, and, and how they speak, those are explicit rejections of the First Amendment, right? We already know how those groups feel about the second amendment. Increasingly, when we talk about the WEF. Uh, uh, encouraging companies to censor their media, that's an assault on the fourth Amendment. we see this happening, right? In the same era that we never grappled with what you and I talked about a few minutes ago in COVID, about 35 states, I think I looked one time had a restriction on being able to go to church or how you could gather in public. So if you think about the five freedoms of the American First Amendment uh, to our constitution, it was suspended here. In a fair amount of our heartland, we haven't grappled with that. But, but back to your point, yeah, those those groups and kind of what I'll call the more modern movement, this cultural revolution that's happening, I, I consider it explicitly revolutionary because it, it seeks to suborn the Bill of Rights and to replace. It.
0: Yeah, I want to revisit what you just said about the suspension of of rights because, you know. In retrospect, and I'm now I'm entering into conspiratorial territory, so bear with me. But in retrospect, I I I have a hard time believing that. Well, we know COVID wasn't nearly as dangerous as as was being reported, but I'm having a hard time now believing that we were even in a pandemic in the first place. Just 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 because of what came out of it, and just because of the obvious motivations behind it, right? I mean, this wasn't as it appears to me, a a situation where you had Western governments thinking on their toes and coming up with policy as they went. Now, in retrospect, that I look back at it, it seems calculated. It seems like it was strategic.
1: Yeah. And I don't know that, but I think either way, you mentioned on their toes. Um, It might just be that it was the excuse the utopians needed and they were just ready to go, right? So if you, if you give bureaucrats power, they are effective at exercising, right? Uh, uh, especially, right, think about that Obama era, that technocrat, um, you know, they praised that idea of these forward leaning, you know, sort of folks. And so the way that I look at it is, imagine if we had had a discussion as a society that said, hey, there is a public health crisis that is also a civil liberties crisis, that is also an economic crisis. And of this tripartite crisis that we now face, we are going to take all of the warnings of the health experts, but we are also going to recognize, right, the key founding strictures via which we've all agreed to come together. And we're gonna recognize the dreams and livelihoods that will be crushed if we try to to shut people down and all the attendant health effects of those, not just the suicides and the drug overdoses, but just the long-term effects of which we're now subject. Imagine that discussion, right? But to your point, I, I don't know, right? Because it could just be that they were extremely effective at, um, uh, uh, you know, if you think about it, they've been going to these WFEF conferences for years, right? They've been having, uh, right, all these ideas and then boom, here's the perfect crisis via which they can jam it. So, so I don't know either way, but I could see either being plausible.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, they ran Agenda 201. Months before COVID popped up, I mean, that's just beautiful timing, if you ask me. But you know, yeah. I, I I get what you're saying, and yeah, I mean, I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think we'll ever know. I think we're now we're speeding, sprinting toward something that is unrecognizable to us here in the West as free citizens, right? And you know, this is this is where I actually wanted to go with you today because you know, you're an expert on on national security, and you you the United States currently has millions of undocumented illegal immigrants flooding across your southern borders. And I mean, it's to a point where even Democrats, Democratic states like New York are begging for them to shut, just, just turn off the taps, like stop letting people in. What in your view is going on there and what impact is this going to have, not just on the American economy, but culturally?
1: Yeah, so two major impacts out of the gate right? One is we are still, the American people are still slow to understand that this is a dramatic and willful betrayal, um, and, 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 and a moral outrage of the type, you know, I, I'd like to think, right, that we have a certain amount in common with our fellow countrymen. And, and so the more that I believe that, and I do, is how dramatically I feel betrayed. I feel like I knew that Democrats were considering this. They had started to hint at it, um, 15 years ago and then i remember there were attacks on ice facilities right sort of the radical wing during the obama era and part of me still thought they won't really do it it's just that they're patriot they're they're loyal right They're to the country so when you recognize that individuals in your country this isn't about a goodwill disagreement their allegiance is not and, and there is no way to there is no reasoning around that their allegiance is not to this country it is explicitly considering the United States as a central and international protectorate um, and coming against our sovereignty that cannot be forgiven. Um, And so that's impact one. We have to understand what it means when a significant or non-minor portion of our citizens are declaring essentially that dual allegiance. Um, And then then two, right, you mentioned culturally, Um, no one has any idea. And it's not going to be pretty, we decided that in the midst of one of the most bitterly divided times in our country's history, in which we have contested elections and at least a limited amount of political violence to let in, you know, eight or 10 states worth of people, what a dramatic risk of our political union by Joe Biden and Democrats. And the reason they're willing to do that is because they also see the stakes as that high and they are not willing to not have their policy preferences um, be forced on the American people. Um, and you know this really ties to what we were talking about before Jason, which is you either believe in sovereignty or you don't, right? And, and I think increasingly the phrase from American citizens and Canadians will be, we demand sovereignty. Mm-hmm. It is our birthright, we're not asking you. We demand sovereignty and, and I think so much of what we're talking about here is between people who are self sovereign that want to be self-reliant. I think it's Tim Kennedy, right? He's a uh, podcaster, a really smart guy. He talks about that uh, self-sovereign side, super smart. And, and those who don't want that, who are dependent, but also those who believe in national sovereignty and those who don't. And so much of what we're talking about can be filtered there um, through there.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, here in Canada, Everything that we're seeing is the the product of, um, well, cult behavior, right? it's It's ideology that's driving our government here. We have yes. a we have a brilliant investigative journalist, a uh, guy by the name of Sam Cooper, who I spoke to a few weeks ago. And he's been picking apart the the Chinese involvement and interference in the Canadian political structure. And I'm not going to speak for him. I'll say just from my reading of his work, it's like every time he turns around, he finds another connection. It's like he can yep. throw a dart in any direction and hit a Chinese intelligence agent. You know, that's that's how prevalent this is here in our country. Um, now, from what I've talked to him, from my conversation with him, I gather that there is a similar situation happening in the United States right now where the Chinese have become enmeshed in the American political apparatus. Uh, do do you have any thoughts on that or, or, yeah. or any knowledge yeah. of it?
1: So two points. Right. Um, I mean, we know about the Confucius Institutes at American universities. We know about deals that China's want to cut with local municipal governments. We also know right, things like um, uh, World Economic Forum and UN deal with local governments and they release plans. Right. Um, I mean, I'm talking small townships across the United States that have both of those influences. Um, And it makes sense if you were China. Right. What element of subversion it's your Primary adversary, you can't yet match them militarily. What amount would you consider an overspend as it relates to some subversion, right? There is none. Um, and so it, it is a way for them to make an asymmetric difference, but also to weaken kind of the internal bonds of the United States. And that is something that I I do fear all the time. Um and let me let me make another point. You said, you know, the Canadian government, that ideology that's there, um, it is so dramatically on display and and what you recognize is that trudeau is you know operating so far beyond where the consensus is Mm -hmm. and he is smart enough to understand that accept the fact that it will alienate people accept the negative consequences to those people's lives like the truckers he knows all that this the choices he's making are deliberate and you know, I feel like that is something that is still hard sometimes for people to recognize is they actually do get what they're doing. And they're doing it deliberately.
0: And, you know, the the thing that really concerns me is that you typically see this sort of behavior from governments right before they become tyrannical. Right. Because because there's no way he's going to win at the ballot box. Right. Yeah. And when
1: you use the phrase turnkey totalitarianism, right, which I think is a good one. Yeah. And, and so here are all the tools that would be necessary for that. Control of media, uh, attempting greater censorship, um, control over the financial instruments via which people need to, to organize in society, a, a brutally aggressive surveillance state. Um, here are all the tools. And yet we're thinking we're going to be a historical aberration. And so that's what I found you know so compelling. Is one of the through lines in your work is you go, hey, guys, these signs line up.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, and and exactly what you said. We are not going to be an aberration. Right? This is just another repeat of something that we saw kill tens of millions of people in the beginning and and middle of the 20th century, right? We're just we're just back again. We're we're repeating this cycle and you know that's that's the thing. There's no such thing as an aberration as it as it relates to, you know, uh, social and political ideologies like Marxism or fascism, right? Like, you know, with yep. the World economic Forum, the language that they use, public-private partnership, that's fascism. You know, and it's 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 crazy to me that just rational thinking people don't put that together, right? It's like there's this cognitive dissonance. Right. especially with academics and really brilliant educated people i've seen it happen over and over again it's like they'll get they'll get so far and then once you hit that you know that territory where it's like hey we are going into darkness they're like they they just start repeating buzzwords and talking points that they've heard on cnn or whatever you know yeah. bullshit network they're paying attention to and that's that's the part that's most frustrating is it's like you see it all the way up until here yeah. you can't take that one step at, but i think too it's also fear that holds them back from acknowledging and accepting that hey this is where we're going and we have to do something to stop it
1: yeah and i think that i think in some ways those folks think that they are they are unique right that we are enlightened i wrote a piece years ago that maybe me and my mom i mean no one read and and uh, i called it 100 years the same and and the idea being whatever veil we think we have that prevents us from catastrophe whatever degree of, of enlightenment that we think we have achieved, we haven't. There is nothing unique about our point in history other than maybe the confluence of risk that we find ourselves in uh, uh, right here in the short and medium term. But but other than that, we are those people um, that stumbled into these crises before. I think Brett Weinstein made a similar point on your podcast recently. And And what those folks, right, those academics and those other folks, they are they live in in a reality in which um, they don't understand that the result of utopianism, right, and what I will almost call an anti-human utopianism, right, of the type practiced by the World Economic Forum, it can only end in disaster. Or let me make a similar point, right, when you talk about AOC and these other American politicians that declare their allegiance to social democracy, despite the fact that we are a democratic republic, they are utopians and they think that they can achieve justice through this top down heavy state and what they don't understand is that's not how power works. Mm-hmm. And so we're caught in a loop here that is just preventable and and maddening at the same time.
0: Yeah, and and when I see people like AOC I say you are either an aspiring tyrant or a delusional narcissist. It's right. one of those it's one of those two you can't be anything other than those to to believe that. Right to believe yeah. that you have the answers, <laughs> you, yeah. you know what I mean. And it's just as simple as well, just make everybody do what I say.
1: Yeah, and and if you think about it too, again, you know, being well-meaning doesn't forgive the 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 uh, impact, right? So these folks believe they're doing the right thing, and that's not an excuse. They still have to be resisted just as much, and and there there is going to be a breaking point again. And this is not even a partisan left versus right statement. The American government is, federal government is too strong and it will not fit. We are too big and diverse a continental country. We will come apart one way or the other. What we need to do is is re-embrace federalism. Um, And only in that case can we avoid civil disorder or some other type of hopefully, uh, or some other type of unfortunately, uh, potentially violent disunion. But there is no continuing on this path and things remain okay. That has now been ruled out. And what I tell people is that feeling in your gut where you go, well, hey things might not be okay this time it's right. listen to that um, this is where we are in the move
0: and you know disunion is a real possibility, right And you know yep. at the end of every Empire, it's always kind of the same story, right It breaks down and then all of the 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 Empire breaks away into separate nation states and you're kind of seeing a a similar scenario play out in Canada. I'm in Alberta. There's a the the Alberta independence movement has gained more steam in the last wow. five years than potentially ever in our history, right? I mean, we have been Alberta and Saskatchewan, where the two midwestern provinces, we produce a disproportionate amount of the country's wealth, along with British Columbia, and we have been targeted specifically by this this uh, this ideology, right? That sure. the Trudeau and his Liberal government subscribe to, and and we've elected a premier in Danielle Smith who is technically a conservative but she's more libertarian than anything and there is no reality where danielle smith is re-elected premier of alberta without a justin trudeau as our prime minister right Mm. she is a her election is a direct response to these these draconian authoritarian measures of our of our federal government and now we are, I mean, incrementally stepping toward breaking away from our confederacy. And you can see a similar scenario playing out in the United States where increasingly red states are are becoming more and more independent of the union. And, and, you know, people like Ron DeSantis basically telling Biden and, and, and the Democrat government, go fuck yourself. We're not doing what you're telling us to do. Right. Yeah. And so, so in your mind is, 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 Something like that, like a like a like a breaking down of the the federal nation of the United States a possibility?
1: Yeah, so it, without again us decentralizing according to the mechanisms that we have, it will happen one way or the other, or we will, we will be in conflict. And again, you could even argue it the other way, right, which is the I remember when Donald Trump was elected, right? We had protests immediately. We had a movement called the resistance, but we also had um, blue state governors. Um, pushing up against the boundaries of of how that conflict between the federal government and the state governments work. All of us are saying we will no longer be ruled this centrally. Um, George Washington in his farewell address, right, uh, warned a lot of people think about that address just because he said, hey, let us, uh, you know, I'm stepping down and here's why power needs to be um, um, transferred. But there's other parts of that speech, right, where he warns against unnatural factions being created amongst the people mm-hmm. and people take that often just as a lazy rebuke at partisanship but it wasn't just that he said right we have to be careful not to stoke territorial um differences between different parts and regions of our of our union um the the he used the phrase i think jealousies and heart burnings that this type of action creates cannot easily be remedied and so where we are right now is oh, i'm sorry and in that essay he also made the point that Part of the legitimacy of our government is the fact that we make and amend the documents via which we've agreed to operate. So whether we end up at an amendment situation or a potential constitutional convention, those are mechanisms we have available to us as we are running out of um, what I'll call the existing contemporary mechanisms, right? We censure half the cabinet officials. We impeach every other president. These were dramatic things that have become commonplace and we're running out of them. But let me answer more specifically, so could it happen? Yeah, my fear is it happens sooner than we think, mm-hmm. right? And um, we've got, you mentioned the, the, the reaction for Danielle that got elected, right? And that's being painted as, you know, this rise of this fascist right, people who just hold very mainstream views, right? Mm-hmm. Being painted this way in Canada and the United States and Europe. Um, they are on, on the other side of the aisle seeking to paint, um, you know, any victory by those folks as, as fraud fraudulent, it cannot be maintained. Uh, you know, we're going to slip immediately into fascism. You know, people talk about if, if, if Donald Trump shuts down the border and tries to reform the federal bureaucracy, these things are apparently now fascism, right? So what I'm afraid of is it breaks down sooner and in a less orderly way than anybody recognizes. We live in an era in which, right, a, years ago, a Bernie Sanders supporter attempted to mow down about 8% of congressional leadership we've had three two or three protests in the past three or four years encompassing both presidents where the secret service thought they were coming over the fence into the white house right There was just one a couple weeks ago and and trump had that Um, members of one of the two administrations the last administration were not welcome at restaurants in our federal capital think about what that means for where we are in this movie Um, and so my fear is that this could all break down sooner um, and, and and the inauguration um, the 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 especially uh, inauguration day itself not just the recording of the votes uh, so January 20th 22nd whatever that date is uh, that serves not just to transfer power between um, the two heads of the federal government in some ways that is the American people uh, reauthorizing the federal government to operate right and uh, we are the grantees of that power they uh, right I'm sorry the grantors uh, what happens if just enough people just don't buy it? What happens when not my president gets real? We are, I think, stumbling into a lot of scenarios where that, that becomes apparent and we have no good mechanisms at that point to move forward. With.
0: And that's that's the real danger, right? Is, yeah. you know, you, you have citizens. See, I, I always say the same thing. You know, look, we we tend to look at our politicians and elected figures as being these, kind of, you know, demigods, right? Like they're untouchable and they can just do whatever they want. And we've gotten away from this perspective of of looking at them like these are our employees. Yep. Our tax dollars are paying their salaries, right? Yep. And and you know, we elect them to work for us. Like you know, you should you have a right to to, you know, send an email to your congressman or your senator and and demand a response. Yep. It, it's it would be the same as you reaching out to your gardener or, you know, whoever your plumber and them just completely ignoring you. It's the same thing. These people are civil servants.
1: Yep. A hundred percent. And the way to think about that is we have a wide variety of, 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 first amendment ways that we can communicate that right directly to them in the media, um, taking ads out against them, all that stuff. Um, and what I'm afraid of, especially after January 6th is that a lot of the right particularly America, is now afraid of street protests because there haven't been many since that date, right? We are are watching our country. We are watching a deliberate and dramatic change in our union by bringing in 10 million people in a four-year span, right? No historic precedent. uh, precedent. Um, Why are there not active street protests? I feel like I'm failing because I'm not doing that now, right? Um, We have uh, social media shutting down people's posts. We have Congress people who just won't answer. There's no accountability. They can just go on friendly media. At the same time, that we have left wing protesters who will break into Capitol hearings, who will scratch at the doors of the Supreme Court. Um, so we are we are in, in accepting a double standard, and at the same time subordinate, suborning the you know the variety of tools that individuals have to express themselves in a healthy way. And so there's no good outcome to that. And you know you make this point that I think cannot be forgotten. We talked about the federal government is is so dramatically and ahistorically overpowered right now. You talked about what that means. It's citizen and the state. We need to reset that power balance, right? So that's why we need to clean up our public health emergency rules now. And it is why we need to get rid of the security theater at airports now. Um, And it's why we need to look across in the United States, the federal register, remove all the other violations of the fourth amendment inherent in that those, those, uh, the regulations released and the rules promulgated. Um, if we don't do them now and reset that relationship again, every it's, it's only bad outcomes from here on out.
0: Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's it. It it, it really is. It's like, you know, I, I was watching a video yesterday, um, you know, the a lot of the immigrants in that are arriving in uh, are being in Chicago are being um, shipped to the south side, to the poor black neighborhood, and yeah. you know this is a microcosm of a bigger problem, right? But but just using that as an example, like just the absolute devastation, the cultural devastation that occurs by, you know, shuffling tens of thousands of immigrants into an already struggling area an already struggling neighborhood right i mean it's can you talk about that a little bit like what that does to cripple national security when you have 10 million plus people just arrive out of nowhere
1: yeah so you know the number one security point is when you do not have a border you're you're not a sovereign nation so if you're not sovereign you can't be secure right it, it is it is the, the reason i focus on this i ran for congress in western pennsylvania and people said why is the top thing on all your campaign material secure at the border <laughs> And I said, because it is foundational to everything else. We are either sovereign or we aren't, right? Um, but think about what Democrats are willing to countenance on behalf, the suffering they're willing to countenance on behalf of other people to achieve their political ends, to to to, to send people into those very neighborhoods you're talking about. And, and I tell people, you don't have to be America first, but that is literally America last. Mm-hmm. You are letting people come in. And then as, as Victor Davis Hanson has pointed out, the scholar, right? you are literally subjecting them to a more preferential set of rules. Um, and, and that is so devastating to the body politic. It is so devastating to our, our, our national fabric. And then culturally, right? So before uh, Joe Biden deliberately decided to do this, right? We were already at about the highest percentage of foreign-born citizens um, in this country. Maybe it mirrored the 1890s or the 1910s, but it was right about the same, right? and. I think we've been very welcoming and, and very tolerant, right? There's 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 not pogroms, there's not violence, uh, uh, in any large amount. But you go, okay. At some point, you give the melting pot a chance to work, and maybe you recognize that in the middle of a bitterly contested time in our nation's history, when we're thirty trillion in debt, this is not the time or the place in our nation's history to to undergo this absolutely historic experiment, right? And again, they know it, and they're choosing to do it. I, I, let me make another example here. And I don't want to get too partisan in my comments, but we changed the way that we conduct elections, um, and, and aggressively in 2020, but in the lead up to that, from a point in time measure of public opinion, to kind of a vote farming competition that lasts for weeks in advance. Um, the, the fact that Democrats chose to change that at the individual state level, to include my home state of pennsylvania um what a dramatic really risky thing to do in the middle of this time right and to them the ends justified the means i get it we were apparently one election away from fascism um but to to them that risk was was something they're willing to do but imagine that you go in the middle of this extremely sensitive time we're going to change the rules on the way millions upon millions of people participate in elections and then expect and then anybody who feels disenfranchised after that brand new rule change resulted in the exact outcome that we all knew it would, anybody who feels disenfranchised by that, you know, is to be cast out of society. And just what a dramatic thing that we've we've done.
0: Well, that's it. You're a fascist if you, if, if you don't want that. You know, it's yep. like, I don't think most people understand how absolutely destructive mail-in ballots are. You know, like, I mean, it's the easiest way to manipulate an election.
1: Yeah. And and not only that, but there were these explainer pieces, right? The mainstream media was doing its job trying to, you know, assuage people's concerns. And they would say, hey, millions of people vote this way. And, you know, um, it's not as uncommon as people think. And here are the rules in each state. They, in almost all of those cases, overstated the reality of what that meant. Let's say that they were talking about a percentage of the American people. Well, there are five states I think that had universal mail-in, mail-in or absentee beforehand. And by the way, states should control how their elections are conducted. Um, but it wasn't as if it's this widespread thing, and the per- percentage was spread evenly across the states. There are a bunch. Of, there are a few states that always did it that way. Um, and we added in, we layered in the vote farming, what people call ballot harvesting or third-party collection. I said that is fundamentally different that isn't someone going to cast their vote on election day. It's not about just the civic participation. That is specific activist groups going out to specific neighborhoods to control elderly people into voting. Everybody knows it. They know it too. Um, And so you end up with a sea change, a dramatic sea change in the way that elections are conducted. Many people who had no familiarity with these other types of voting and he thought, let's do this in the most, brutally divided, you know, time in our country's history since the Civil War, and then expect that it'll all get swallowed totally fine. And it, it was just such a draconian thing. Um, and, and I still think, you know, we're not understanding the scale of what that change was. And we're seeing the risks of it now, but we won't, people won't tie that to, um, you know, those changes.
0: Well, of course, because if, you know, it, it, again, it's it's the labels, right, that deter people from either... Uh, pointing out um, an aberration, or or just outright speaking out against something they know is wrong, right? It's that yep. it's that title of being a fascist. I mean, it's I'm 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 actually surprised to see the amount of Americans who have you know kind of I, I guess maybe not maybe not changed their opinion on Trump, but are now outright in support of Trump, right? Yep. Like we've seen this is a we've seen a drastic difference between this year. And you know, 2016. I mean, I I worked in film at the time. I worked for a big five major film studio. And did you? Yeah. And and uh, I, I, the people I worked with were Hollywood liberals. Yeah. And I, I a lot of the people I talked to, they knew that I was you know interested in politics and kind of wrote part time on the side. And and after the American election, because a lot a lot of them were from the U.S., they kind of quietly came to me and said, "Hey, you know, I voted for Trump, right?" and like one of them was a was a a black gay dude who, who you know it was like he was confessing to me his like greatest sin yep. right and now this year you're seeing this 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 rising tsunami of 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 support for Trump it's it's a completely different atmosphere now and i think it's because after 4 years of Trump and then 4 years of Biden i think americans are recognizing that they've been had
1: yeah, there's just there's just a certain amount of undeniable evidence. And it, it lays itself out. Uh, we, we live in an era in which the consequences of our political choices come back to bite us pretty quickly. Um, and so we, we, and we've we seen that over the past, you know, several presidents. Um, the other point I'll make too, right, is so the Democrats, especially under Obama and then over the past number of years, they've made an explicit decision to abandon the middle class and pursue a deal between the elite upper classes of the media and Fortune 500 companies and the lower classes that they want to be dependent on them into perpetuity, right? Um, They made that deal explicitly and it took people a while to catch up to what that meant. And now there's just, you know, an incredible amount of evidence for that. I think about, you know, April and May, 2021, things were starting to open back up and then Biden decided to dump all that money into uh, right into the economy or into people's bank accounts, whatever you want to call it. And all of those restaurants that were about to open up all of a sudden couldn't hire people anymore. Uh, you know, and 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 it's funny, the left takes that as this great populist moment, but it, it wasn't, it was based on subsidies of money they'll eventually have to pay back. But I, I mean, I, and I remember that very literally, I can think of a specific restaurant in Penn Avenue in Pittsburgh that had a opening date. And then I remember they had to change the sign because they all of a sudden couldn't hire people. Now look, the reality is they understood that as a price to pay off all of the left wing and civic groups and the state and municipal governments that are running unsustainable deficits. They knew that the blue state bailout was inevitable. It's been in their plans for years. And so I think what people are recognizing is that they have been abandoned as a middle class, as upper middle class and, and, and the working classes and so they're just going, okay. What Republicans are doing in the United States isn't always particularly compelling, but it doesn't feel like they hate. me.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly it. You see, here in Canada, we, we I have a, a a close friend who owns a uh, a, a very high end restaurant, and um, he, uh, you know, after after the pandemic measures had been eased a little bit. He was having a hard time getting people to come back to work because in Canada we had the the CERB, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, which really was just a beta test for a universal basic income, yeah. right? And he couldn't get his wait staff to come back to work because they were getting two thousand dollars a month from the government. And yeah. you see, that's the thing is exactly what the, what you just what you just pointed to. It, people think this is free money. This is not free money, right? Yeah. Either somebody else is paying for it. Or their printing cash that's causing the the, you know, that's gonna cause prices and cost of living to go through the roof. One way or the other, this isn't free.
1: Yeah, and and someone should map out, and I never have, but if you look at the AMC, I think it was, or I'm sorry, GameStop, GME, I think AMC came later, the GameStop frenzy. Um, and then if you look at some of the crypto bubbles, I bet we could time those to the distributions of these. Welfare for those, you literally had federal dollars flowing to individuals' bank accounts that, that fueled um these uh these asset bubbles that then came back to bite people and then they'd argued for greater, right? It it was an absurdity. And you know, you mentioned it was a test run for UBI, right? And it 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 angers me all the time that you know the 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 tech titans of the world. You know, and some of these supposedly crypto libertarian folks bought into UBI, right? Which it's not income. It's mandatory welfare is what it is. It is making everybody dependent. And these guys bought into it and said, maybe we need UBI because they didn't want to be held responsible for the technological job losses that they might have caused, right? The reality is we'll find other ways. The economy will find other ways to employ those people. But I really saw those tech entrepreneurs supporting that, these tech titans, as just a way to dodge the public accountability, right? It's just like when Zuckerberg would beg for legislation. He'd go, I don't want to spend all this money censoring people. The government should be doing this. He had tens of thousands, literally tens of thousands of contractors uh, 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 censoring people uh, in cities like Austin and, and, and in Arizona, these, these contractors. He just wants to offload that back to back to the public treasury.
0: Yeah, it's it's so egregious and disgusting and grotesque. And this is this is what, you know, most people don't understand about these, you know, these billionaires. Right. It's it's not they're not your friend, no matter how much they want to be right or try to be. Um, I know you got to run to other things. So before you go, I just want to ask you one final question while we're on the sub while we're talking about Trump this year. Yeah, it's a big election year in, in the United States, I think you know, this is going to determine the direction of the country for a very long time. Um, you know, there's been a concerted effort to try to take Trump out of the picture. Democrats and just, you know, I, I I have a hard time calling them Democrats because full disclosure, I'm of the left, you know, I'm from the left and I don't recognize these people as liberals at all. I don't. To me, they're more I mean, they're neoliberals. You know, they're more neoconservative than anything. I mean, they, yeah. they're they're literally just repackaged neoconservatives. Yep. And but they've they've made it clear that this is a by any means necessary moment for them, yep. that they are going to do everything in their power to try to stop Trump. Here's my fear. And and this is the question I want to ask you. We have mail in ballots and all sorts of different ways to manipulate the, the the election. Of course, the deep state is not a fan of Donald Trump at all. I think we can all kind of put that together now. Um. What do you what do you see the outcome of the election being? And if Trump, uh, and and if Trump is somehow, if we see the same chicanery going on around this election that we saw in twenty twenty, is that the moment America descends into complete chaos?
1: Yeah, I don't think it will descend into complete chaos. My diagnosis is similar to yours in in two ways. One is, yes, by any means necessary. They are, you know, uh, elections used to be two political parties battle it out and they message and it's a turnout thing and a ground game thing. It is now the major moving of cultural pieces, right? I I look at uh, Elon buying Twitter under that context. I look at Fox firing Tucker under that context. These were pieces in the lead up to the 2024 election. Everything should be viewed through that lens. I wish it wasn't. I wish the partisan binary was escapable, but it isn't. Um, And what I think will happen is that Trump will probably have an unprecedented day of turnout, but that Democrats will have banked enough votes in advance, and it will cause a dramatic and dangerous widespread disillusion, right? And if it goes the other way, um, what a dangerous 10 weeks we'll have anyways, because I think the left will – right? I think there will be widespread street mobilization. Almost uh, 2006 has Bala-style sit-ins when they had paralyzed Beirut. I know that seems like a yeah. weird analogy. No, it's um, not. It's
0: It's not at yeah. all. I'm so glad uh, you brought that up because that's what – Please, please. Right. When, yeah, no, no. Yeah.
1: So, like, yeah. you know, for instance, we already know the left tried to interrupt, for instance, Supreme Court signings in, et cetera. So I think it is a dangerous and destabilizing time. I think we can avoid chaos. Um, and the only way to do that, right, we can't give up on elections as part of what we need to do. It, it is it is the mechanism of legitimacy. Um, there will be a a, a a a a sped up showdown between the states and the federal government so right if if biden wins again the federal government will continue to put the vice on states in in, in an aggressive way and the states will have to push back and it is only through the states pushing back and asserting their legitimacy and, and the rights that they have by the way every right except those explicitly given to the federal government and by republicans exercising greater control over state legislatures to change those election rules that is the path back it's hard Will people have enough patience? I don't know, but I have to cling to the fact that there are legitimate ways out of this. Um, So as alarmist as I am, and and I, and and I've been called that many times, I challenge people on that because I think the evidence is on my side and your side. Um, But as alarmist as I am, I still think that there are institutional ways that we can um, get out of this.
0: Well, Jason Kilmeyer, you left me with so much to think about, man. Um, Thank you so much for your time. I've been a reader of yours over the year. I, 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 uh, I wish you wrote more because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely your voice. I think of reason and a, and a guy with deep insight on all of these matters. And I think your your perspective is invaluable on all this.
1: Ah, I pr- I appreciate it, man. I don't know how to thank you. And and I've followed your work. I I forget how we I started following you a while back. And uh, and I appreciate the voice that you have. And also, right, it is both the things that you're saying but also the, the well-reasoned manner in which you're able to lay them out, I think that's important because that's how you bring people in, right? So the fact that you're able to do that and have that uh, level of conversation with that degree of amicability, um, but also build an audience, I find really impressive.
0: Thank you, man. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I try to resist the urge to become too hyperbolic, right? Because some of this stuff I see, I'm like, holy shit, like it's all fucking burning down, you know, so yeah. I, I have to stop myself. And like, really think it through. You know, I, I take the things that I have to say very seriously, and I think that's why people like yourself are willing to talk to me. So, um, you know, it's the, the respect is very much mutual. Um, can you can you tell everybody where they can find you?
1: Yeah, and and let me when I when I pitch this stuff, I promise I'm not selling anything. I'm um, Twitter at Jason Kilmeyer. and then also a, a, a friend of mine and I started a, a group called Eyes on Pittsburgh, and that's on Twitter. Eyes on PGH and we are trying to expose um, you know, a lot of the civic challenges that that the city of Pittsburgh and the County of Allegheny have had. Um, you know, the explosion of homelessness and vagrancy, uh, the needles that, that, that line a lot of the sides of our trails, and, and I'll say generally the failure of the local and municipal governments there. I do not accept the decline of Pittsburgh. Um, there are people who will stay and fight uh, for that city, and that effort is a very small part.
0: Yeah, and you know, let me be the first to say that the state of Pennsylvania lost a, a great opportunity in you, sir. I I really think that you're a you're a guy with vision and and clear understanding of how your country operates. And to see you in Congress, I hope you run again, man, because I I think you would be a, a, a huge asset to your country.
1: Oh, thanks, man. I got I got whooped too. Um, but I uh, <laughs> I I also I learned a lot, and it was a fascinating thing. And one thing I'll say, just as we wrap up. Um, I also left with with some confidence in, in the way that we do local uh, government. Uh, and and Grant, I'm talking about something federal, but to qualify, you have to get signatures from a, a number of your constituents uh, in that district, right? So it's a 1,000. So you hold events and you go to pizza places and you have a clipboard. But a lot of what you do is you go door to door and talk to people. And we got just over 2,000 signatures because the we'll rules you double it. Um, that was one of the most heartening things I've ever done. And, you know, people in Western Pennsylvania, they're not shocked. And so they will tell you what they think. But just to get to hear from that many people was just like a privilege. It was just so cool. Um, yeah. And so I'm hoping, you know, to, to venture back more. You know, people ask kind of what I'm doing as a commentator. And I just say I'm an occasional podcast guest. I hope to get into that a little bit more. But I'm also happy enough because there are so many, you know, there are a lot of other smart people out there doing great stuff right now, too. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And, dude, you're so... You're so insightful that I would love to hear you. I, if you start your own podcast, I'll be your number one listener. I'll be the first guy listening. You know, there's a small handful of people that I talk to and I'm like, damn it. I wish I could talk to them for hours and hours and hours. And I, I you know, I, I wish you had your own podcast, but anytime you want to use my channel to get any message you want to get out there, please, by all means, just reach out to me, man.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. Thanks. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. I'm glad we do this, man.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Likewise, man. Thank you
1: very much, Jason. I appreciate it. All right, later.